bonus episode. And let me preface by saying this. This isn't meant to give all the answers. I'm not here to say I have it all figured out. I'm not even going to be able to address every avenue of this particular topic. This episode is truly meant to spark conversation and discussion, uh, discussion about this very difficult issue. And man, I have so much on my mind right now, and there are so many layers to unpack regarding the events of not just this past week in Atlanta, but over the past few weeks, heck, even this past COVID year as hate crimes against the Asian American community have risen 150% since the pandemic started. And this recent horrific event at the three massage parlors and day spas in Atlanta just adds to the frustration and confusion, especially within the Asian American context. But let me first start by saying this isn't anything new. Asian Americans, including all minority groups in America for that matter, have been facing racism, injustice, and stereotypes forever. Unfortunately, the mainstream media has a way of controlling the narratives of what the majority becomes exposed to. But, and especially as a spoken word poet who has led weekly and monthly open mic gatherings consistently for most of my adult life, These cries and the voices of the oppressed have always been vocal. Poets and artists and creatives alike have always been at the forefront of the conversation. It's just been amplified in the recent weeks, again, specific to the Asian American experience here in this country. Now, with so many layers to unpack, I acknowledge that I won't be able to hit every avenue in the next few minutes of this episode. But what I'm hoping is that this episode will spark continued conversation around this particular issue, which incidentally, we do have a new Facebook, um, a Facebook group page. I always have a hard time saying those three words, uh, but we have a new group page where we can further this conversation. You can find us at the Breathe podcast group page. And let's discuss. Let's have this conversation because, quite honestly, conversations like these are necessary. And not just when tragic events happen, but these kinds of conversations should be had continually throughout our lifetime. And we should embrace the uncomfortable when it comes to racial reconciliation because, let's face it, it is uncomfortable. But the more we engage in one another's experiences and one another's stories, the more we can understand each other and get to the root problem. And hopefully, with wisdom, we can all move toward healing. And I believe it begins with acknowledging and repenting of our own internal biases, stereotypes, and prejudices. Specific to the Asian American context, for example, there has been this under-the-surface tension with our brothers and sisters in the black community. Whether it's Asians saturating predominantly black neighborhoods with businesses, yet still treating their very own clientele unfairly because of built-up stereotypes, or even to my own context, being a Filipino-American where growing up in a predominantly black community and having all black friends, with the exception of one white dude and a Samoan family, I was told by my own relatives to not hang out with, you know, those people. Now, I'm not putting my family on blast or anything like that. I'm just stating the obvious and the importance of calling out the biases that we have toward others. And if we can come to a place of acknowledging those biases, repenting of them, and listen to this, and even confessing our prejudices to those whom we have prejudices toward, I believe we can move the needle forward. But But it can only happen when we're willing to talk with, not at, But when we're willing to talk with one another, 
Now, another layer to this is the Asian shame culture. We just don't say much generally. And when we do, our families get mad and they silence us because we might bring shame to the family we talk to, you know, too loudly, for instance, right? Air quotes around loudly. So when incidents like Atlanta happen and there's obvious pain and frustration and hurt and confusion, many of us don't know how to process it. We don't know how to process our emotions because we've been conditioned to be silent. We've been conditioned to be reserved to, in the context of America, to be model citizens so that we can have a seat at the table. And maybe, just maybe, we're seeing a rise in Asian American voices and more discussion forums on places like Clubhouse, for instance, because the pressure is mounting in the pot and the collective of us is ready to pop. But again, conversations like these, hard conversations like these are necessary. So let's have them. Let's not be afraid to engage in these kinds of conversations. Now, the other layer I want to peel back is the tie that many of these murderers, and let's call them for what they are, these murderers have to God. And let's face it, these perpetrators have been mainly white Christian males. And I'm going to call out the church on this. And mind you, I say this as an ordained pastor in the Christian church. But the church has to do a better job at calling out the hate and the racism that exists in this country. And I'm going to say it right now. Yes, there are deep-seated systemic racism in this country, and we need to call it out. There's a faction of Christianity, um, for example, that frowns upon the idea of social justice. But man, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus was all about speaking out and walking with those affected by the injustices of his day. In fact, in quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. Now listen to this. He says to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's in the scriptures. I didn't say oppressed. Jesus did in quoting Isaiah. It's not a social justice mantra, but these are the words of Jesus, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, if that doesn't say that we should speak out against injustices, which includes racism, then I don't know what else does. So, Many of my fellow Christians will say, well, then the answer is Jesus. All we have to do is preach Jesus. All we have to do is get people to come to our churches, and all of the problems will be solved. Sure, yes, Jesus is the answer. But even Jesus being the answer, he did the hard work. I think, for example, about his engagement with the Samaritan woman at the well. For a Jewish man to engage with conversation with a Samaritan, let alone a female Samaritan, in public, mind you, clues us in on what Jesus was about. He wasn't just about preaching the truth of the kingdom. Jesus was about doing the work of restoration, the hard work of restoration. And I would even further argue that doing the hard work of restoration, speaking up out or speaking out against the injustices of our day is part of living out the truth of the kingdom. Jesus was about engaging people. He was about engaging people with hard conversations. Churches are planted in cities throughout the world. Churches aren't built apart from communities. Churches are built within the fabric of the neighborhoods they call home. 
So the issues of the neighborhoods and communities should also be the issues of the church. Why? Because we can bring solutions to those issues in a godly way. I believe what failed these Christian male perpetrators is the church's lack of engaging in those hard conversations. Yes, even a a failure to address community issues from the pulpit. I believe that because churches and pastors want to remain neutral when it comes to being political, there are certain issues that just doesn't come up from the pulpit. Heck, even the idea of the discussion of mental health from the pulpit has been silent for so long. We've seen a lot of conversations, praise God, in the past few years, but the issue of mental health has always been believed that you can just pray it away. Yes, I believe in prayer. You don't have to tell me twice to pray because I pray every day, but there's also the hard work that one has to do to get through with their mental health. Um, I believe the failure of the church for, to, to further this conversation, I believe the failure of the church to instruct its congregation, congregations on the importance of racial reconciliation, listen, by not just teaching about it, but by leading by example and having dialogue and conversations with different ethnic groups around said issues is what also failed these men. For example, I can preach from the pulpit the importance of racial reconciliation and talk about my experience in the black community, given that I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. But truth of the matter is, I'm not black. And for me to be the voice of the black experience from the pulpit is irresponsible. It would be more appropriate for me to bring up some of my black sisters and brothers to the pulpit to share their experiences. It would be similar if I preached about the woman experience as a male and the importance of the woman's voice, but not actually have women share their experience. I I think you get it. I think you get it. And the final layer, which I think encompasses all of this, is to be an active listener. The world is so noisy right now, even, even beyond just this issue and being an active listener, hearing the cries and the heartache of others is extremely important. We have a tendency to have a lot to say, especially with the power of social media, and we're not really listening to each other. Let's listen better. Let's listen. Let's acknowledge the person whom we're speaking with, and let's acknowledge the others in our lives. Now, to that end, I wanted to close off this bonus episode with this. I posted this in print form a couple of days ago, but I wrote this piece in a creative writing workshop a week a week ago. And it truly is relevant today. This was two Thursdays ago that I wrote this, and little did I know Atlanta would happen the week following. But I want to leave you with this. Uh, But seriously, let's continue the conversation in love and in honesty. And again, you can find us on Facebook at the Breathe Podcast group page, and let's chat about this. But I hope this piece refreshes you. It makes you uncomfortable. I hope it jogs a little little cogs in your brain or even in your heart to want to even further the discussion and actually want to do something about what we're experiencing here in America. But here it goes. It goes, uh, the writing prompt was when I'm happiest in my skin. Yesterday, I was told to hold back my tongue, to lunge back, to retract into my place. I was told to go back to the country where I came from. Actually, I believe the exact phrase was go back to country where you from. And the gentleman plunged into an offbeat caricature, proceeded to pull the corners of his eyes tighter with his index fingers, as if to point me back into decades of dominant manipulation and control. Vitriol, 
cultural castration, attempted decimation of my homeland. It was then that I asked him, what about you? What country are you from? Puzzled like missing pieces of a jigsaw, pointing man couldn't see my inquiry through his makeshift slanted eyes, his index fingers now balled up fists as if clinging on to his dignity for dear life. Sam, did I mention his name was Sam? Sam replied, I'm American. I'm from here. To which I asked, but where are you from? Confused like little children discovering division for the first time, Sam was now a divided fraction of who he first was when we began our conversation. See, I am Asian. I am American. I am Asian American, Filipino American. If you want to get specific, I am Filipino American, born on Guam. So throw in a little Chamorro into the mix. Blend it until you get a smooth complexion. I am unapologetically brown, darker than most my shade. I get my melanin from my pops, my generosity from my moms. I am adobo and rice. I am chicken kiliguin and hot dogs. I am 68 inches above sea level, swimming in the pride of who I am. I am me, happy in my skin elated to be within the borders of here. I am a toddler discovering bubbles for the first time, popping, reaching, giggling at the discovery of treasures buried deep in the crevices of the crow's feet of my slanted eyes. They fly from place to place, plucking at whatever it can catch sight of. I am, I am often loud when my kids are asleep, a librarian's worst nightmare. <laughs> my, my wife's too. I'm always in my right state of mind, even though I'm left wondering I am depression and anxiety. Suicidality asks me to dance from time to time. Thank God I prefer to write poetry. Although I do have rhythm, I can groove with the best of them. My pop locks and windmills are the closest I'll ever allow myself to breaking. I am healed and I'm healing constantly, every day. I am the intersection of Island Street and Mainland Avenue. I am home. I am here I am citizen, warrior like my ancestors, cane-like sugar, sweet whenever I rise from obscure conversations where obscene gestures stagger out of the behemoth mouths of ignorance. My embrace is my deliverance. Like waves kissing the sandy shores of the South Bay, I lay a wet one on my country's cheek. She is my home. She is my love. She is my place of belonging. I am from here, and there's no other place I'd rather be. Thanks for tuning in this week to this bonus episode. I, on behalf of the rest of the crew here at the Breathe Faith and Creativity Podcast, truly appreciate you, truly appreciate your support. Let's continue this conversation on our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram at breathe.podcast and make sure you subscribe to this show. We would love to continue blessing you with conversations, stories, and hard issues to tackle. And as we say every single week, until next time, be the light, extend your hand in love, and make peace with someone this upcoming week. Stay blessed, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.